I'm James, one of the elders at New Life. It's great to see you. you? <laughs> we're doing a series in Philippians. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians 1 today, verses 12 to 30. If you've got a Bible, feel free to turn there. If not, no worries, it'll come up on the screen uh, in a moment. Um, we're uh, looking at the series because we want to discover endless joy, don't we? We want to know true joy that's endless And we want to find it, and the only place to find it is in Jesus. And so that's why we're looking at Philippians. We want to find endless joy in him. I wonder what brings you joy? What brings you joy? What makes you tick? What gets the juices going? What um, makes it easier to get out of bed for? What what brings you... (laughs) What brings you hope? What brings you purpose in life? I was um, reading a blog by a, a Lebanese poet called Jess Saman, and she writes based on her childhood experiences of um, civil war in uh, Lebanon. And uh, she listed the top ten things that bring her joy. Uh, she included things like this, loved ones, writing, silence, friends, movement, action, learning, randomness, making others laugh, and connection. I wonder what would be on your list of what brings you joy. And then she said about this experience of writing this list, she said this, I thought it was quite profound, in writing what brings me joy, I was experiencing the foreboding joy, which means apprehensive joy. Everything on this list I might lose tomorrow, and I know I will lose eventually. I wonder if your answers to that question, what brings you joy, would bring the same apprehension because knowing at the end of the day it will all be lost. And whilst it's joy in the moment, it's ultimately temporary and you know it will come to an end. Or maybe you just kind of put it to the back of your mind, kind of get on with uh, living life, um, haven't even thought that they'll end, but you only live once, so let's just get on with it. The common human question, isn't it? How can we find joy, true endless joy, and where can we draw it from? And in Philippians, we're encountering a letter written by Paul. He's in prison awaiting trial, and yet he finds in this letter endless joy that strengthens him through life and through life's hardest moments, through difficulty, through conflict, through suffering. So should we have a look at the passage together? It's Philippians 1, verse 12 to 30. And I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment's for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord because of my uh, imprisonment or by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defence of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, and not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They were rivals who were kind of preaching, you know, we can preach Christ properly now. You know, Paul's in prison, we'll get a, bring Paul down a peg or two. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. 
Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be put uh, at all ashamed. He's not expecting I to be um, executed after his trial. But that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He wants to continue serving them. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. He expects to be found not guilty and released for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You're not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. He's saying that their faithful persistence in the face of opposition and suffering would be a sign of the truth of the gospel that they're talking about and sharing. For it's been granted to you that that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul doesn't have a foreboding joy. He doesn't have an apprehensive joy. He has an endless joy. So where does he draw that from? How can we have endless joy ourselves? The first thing is this. We can have endless joy through unrestricted restrictions. Paul's in prison, but... And prison's designed, isn't it, to limit, to restrict, and to restrain. It's, the purpose is to stop Paul from preaching and influencing others to follow Jesus. And instead, Paul finds the opposite. The whole tactic backfires. And what happens is that Paul's imprisonment opens up opportunities for the gospel to advance. And in turn, it has also encouraged others to be more courageous in their witness. And it means that others are even preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry, but Jesus is getting proclaimed anyway. So in verse 12 to 14, it says, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And, in, um, th- and it's so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Most of the brothers haven't become confident in the law by my imprisonment. Free to speak it without fear. So what was designed to limit, restrict and restrain has backfired and has actually led to advance. Verse 28, he encourages the Philippians if they strive together on mission in unity through opposition, then it will backfire again. It will be a sign of the truth that the gospel about Jesus is true because they're persisting through real resistance. Paul's thinking is this, this is a quote from Tom Wright, he says this, What looks like a major difficulty is being turned by God into an opportunity for the gospel. What looks like a major difficulty 
it's being turned by God into an opportunity for the gospel. I wonder what are the major difficulties in your life? What are the major difficulties in your life? We should expect that this is what God would do, shouldn't we? Because this is at the heart of the gospel. It's what happened at the cross. The execution of Jesus backfired. It backfired. It actually led to advance. Jesus was restrained on the cross, restricted to the grave, limited by death. But three days later, he rose again from the dead. Once again, unrestrained, unrestricted and limitless, the church was born and the rest is history. And we see this throughout scripture. Abraham and Sarah, limited by old age, give birth to children that bless the nations through their family. Joseph's thrown in a pit by his brothers, restrained in slavery and then prison, and then eventually comes to a significant political position in Egypt and uh, helps his family to survive a famine. And maybe you know that story of uh, Joseph. It gets to chapter 50 in Genesis, verse 20, and then Joseph makes this, this extraordinary statement of faith along these lines. He says this. Uh, he says this to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And brought it about so that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What are the major difficulties in your life? The truth is we can draw endless joy through limitations. We can uh, have unrestricted joy through restrictions. We can have endless joy through fleeting circumstances. When we trust in God to take difficult situations and turn them to good. This is what Cheryl and Rod were bringing today, wasn't it? We serve a faithful God. He's still moving, just sometimes not as we expected. Paul was hoping to get to Rome, but he wasn't hoping to be in prison there for a number of years. His ex- it didn't work out as he expected, but God was a faithful God and still using him for his purposes. Tom Wright says this, How often are we tempted to feel discouraged because the plans we had were badly thwarted or because malicious people were trying to make life difficult? We need to learn from Paul and long before from Joseph the art of seeing God's purposes working out through problems and difficulties. God means it for good. God means it for good. The second place that Paul finds endless joy is in life or in death. It says in verses 18 to 21, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that, verse 20, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 21, um, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain is one of my um, favourite verses as a teenager. Um, uh, I, was, I was loud about my faith, in sometimes probably an unhelpful way. Um, that got me into obvious trouble when surrounded by teenagers, uh, which can be a very unforgiving environment. And uh, I, I loved this verse, and uh, in my teens I, I got this key ring made, because a friend was going to Malawi, she said she was going to make some key rings up with favourite verses on it. Um, we gave her the money, raised some money for charity, and I got, um, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Uh, written on the key ring because it's such a statement of faith isn't it 
it's steadfast, it's immovable, it's un, unwavering. And uh, I wonder what our question was to that, our, our answer was to that question of what brings us joy and fills us with purpose and hope, what makes us tick and gets our juices going and gets us out of bed in the morning. Is it our work? Is it our wealth or good health? Is it our friendships or our relationships? The answer for Paul was Jesus and his gospel. Because all those other things, whilst they do bring real joy, it's temporary and therefore it's foreboding joy. It's apprehensive joy because we know it can be taken away from us at any moment. But for Paul, he has endless joy because his answer to what brings him joy is Jesus Christ and his gospel. To live is Christ. The news that in Christ, Jesus has lived the perfect life that we could not live died the death that we deserve to die in place for our sins and has risen again from the dead so that we could have newness of life and the hope of a resurrection of our bodies in the future. Paul can say that his joy will remain intact regardless of the outcome of his trial, whether he is executed or not. It doesn't matter. Whether he gets to live and continues to serve the Philippians and serve Jesus' mission to make him known or whether he departs and dies and goes to be with Jesus, he's a happy man. He doesn't, doesn't, you know, the outcome doesn't matter. My joy is intact. It's endless joy. It can't be taken away from me. I cannot lose it. Whether I live or die, either way, endless joy for me. So I'm happy with either outcome. If he chooses, he'd rather be with the Lord, at home with him, face to face, knowing endless joy and perfect peace, unfiltered, like we sung about this morning. He wants to be at home with the Lord, and so death has lost its sting. That verse in 1 Corinthians 15, death has lost its sting. Because it doesn't make a difference to the thing that matters most. Endless joy in Jesus and his gospel. Why? Gordon Fee says this about Paul. Because for Paul, death is the ultimate gaining of his lifelong passion. Jesus Christ himself. It's the ultimate gaining of his lifelong passion. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you're in Christ like Paul, you can know that beyond death your future is certain and preferable. That beyond death your life is certain and preferable. When we die, we go straight to be with Jesus. We don't need to be vague about what happens to us when we die. Scripture's made it really clear. When we die, we go to be face-to-face with Jesus, at home with him, conscious of him and his love for us. And then we await there with Jesus the resurrection of our bodies to live forever in a new, recreated earth. If your lifelong passion is Jesus if you find yourself um, putting all your passion in him, if he's your focus and your goal in life, then you've put your hope in someone who has defeated death and risen again to life, to a life that never ends, that cannot be stopped. You're drawing endless joy from a well that never runs dry, a joy you cannot lose. 
So friends, if you've ever, or if you are now feeling robbed of your joy, if you feel like it's been stolen from you, if you find yourself fearing death or dreading life or just settling for foreboding, apprehensive joy, then the question to ask ourselves is this. Where have you placed your lifelong passion? Where have you placed your lifelong passion? What has become your lifelong passion in place of Jesus? What has replaced Jesus? Make him your lifelong passion like Paul and find endless joy in life or in death. And the third place uh, Paul finds endless joy is in unity through opposition. Paul's concern for the Philippian church is this, that they experience endless joy themselves by standing firm in their faith, striving side by side together in their mission, that they aren't intimidated by the opposition that they face. This word striving in the Greek is sunathleo. It means to strive with someone, to compete with others, compete vigorously Um, together, striving towards something, like a a sports team would cooperate vigorously with one another. Um, It brought to mind, I was watching a bit of rugby, kind of half-heartedly, Bath and Leicester were were playing, and uh, it reminded me of the rugby scrum, because uh, that's going on there, isn't it? It's a type of conflict, it's very easy to be intimidated, looking at the opposition, and the, the scrum need to kind of face it together, don't they? They stand they strive together against the opposition. They, they wrap their arms around one another. They compete together. The hooker and the... What are the guys either side called? Props, that's it. The hookers, you can tell I'm really into rugby. Yeah, I, fin- I just didn't play it beyond year nine because I was rubbish at tackling. And uh, just not very aggressive. And you kind of need that, don't you, in rugby? So they wrap their arms around each other and they strive together to reach their goal and win possession of the ball. And that's how it is for us as a church, that we're to face opposition and conflict together, standing firm together as one team, in one spirit, united by the spirit as soul brothers and sisters in Christ, arms locked together, striving together to reach our goal of our mission to proclaim Jesus and his gospel in the face of whatever opposition we face without fear. And the rugby team um, that scrums well, stands firm and strives together is a powerful force, aren't they? They, Their united persistence, constantly pushing back against the opposition, um, means they gain ground. And you ever seen one of those rugby matches where at the end of the game, when the scrum happens, you know what's going to happen, don't you? It's like one team has won the battle. And every time the scrum happens, you can see the demoralisation of the opposition. As the ball gets put in the middle, they wrap their arms around each other, knowing the inevitable is going to happen. They will, the opposition will not relent. And the scrum's just inevitable. They drive them back and win possession of the ball. And Paul says that when the church does this, it's a powerful force for the gospel. And it's a sign to the world that the truth about Jesus is true. Because such unity and joy and faith and love under pressure can only come from God. This is the life that's worthy of the gospel that Paul's talking about. It shows that our citizenship is from heaven, not elsewhere. So how can we, how can we do this? How can we be united against opposition? 
how can we strive together to achieve the mission Jesus has given us? Uh, three things. First, we could, let's not presume the worst of one another. Intentions are hidden, aren't they? If somebody does something or says something, you don't often know why they did it. If you assume the worst, it could be just really malicious and horrible. At best, it could have just been a bit naive and a bit of a misunderstanding. We presume the best of one another uh, first. Don't go to the worst possibility. We hold short accounts of one another, forgiving each other, not letting the sun go down on our anger, not allowing things to simmer, but addressing things with one another, not allowing bitterness in our hearts to take root against one another and build resentment. Second, we talk directly to one another rather than talking sideways, which is essentially called gossip. We go to the person and just say, when you said this, it just hurt me like that. Or when you said this, I wasn't sure what you meant. What did you mean when you said that? Or when you did such and such, I just felt this way. Talk directly to one another because gossip dents unity, doesn't it? But we are open and vulnerable with one another, sharing our hearts with each other courageously, dealing with reality as it is, how things really are. Thirdly, we encourage one another, don't we, to be courageous. It can be really difficult to speak out about your faith. You don't have to be surrounded by teenagers for it to be difficult. It can be a real challenge. So we want to encourage one another, pray for each other in our house groups, be saying, who who are you talking to about Jesus at the moment? What can we pray for you? Um, at the moment. So we find endless joy and unity through opposition. And the, the final point is this. Paul finds endless joy in Jesus and his gospel advance. What brings you joy um, is probably the same question as what's your life's focus and goal? What's your aim in life? Because what, what brings you joy is determined by what your focus is and what your goal in life is is it something that's endless and eternal or is it something that's temporary that you'll eventually lose is it something that's never going to end that's been given to you as a gift that cannot be taken away that's what Paul's focus and goal in life is Paul's singular focus throughout the whole of the passage is the advance of the gospel and Jesus Christ being proclaimed talked about, exalted, glorified. So I had a look through the passage and tried to pick up all the times that Paul makes that his focus. Have a listen to this, that Paul, um, whether he's writing about his imprisonment or opportunity for others to witness about Jesus, whether he's talking about others speaking more boldly about Jesus because of his imprisonment, or writing about those who rival him and preach pretentiously to bring him down a peg or two, whether he's writing about his expectation of his release from prison or being reunited with Philippians to encourage them in their faith, or whether he's writing about his death or their unity and courage and suffering, or whether he's talking about his ongoing conflict, Paul's focus and goal is Jesus Christ himself and his gospel. And he says this, that it's for Christ, it's for the defence of the gospel. These are all phrases in the passage. It's about Christ being proclaimed, Christ being honoured, being with Christ after death, glorying in Christ Jesus, living life worthy of the gospel of Christ, salvation from God, suffering for the sake of Christ. Paul's life 
goal and focus is Jesus himself and his gospel. It's all the way throughout the whole of the passage. Jesus Christ and his gospel will never end. And so it brings endless joy. So this morning, God is offering you the gift of himself in Jesus. It's a gift that cannot be taken away and that you cannot ever lose. So he's asking, will you find your joy in Jesus? Will you find your joy in the good news that he lived, died and was raised again for you? Because in him you'll find endless joy. Endless joy. Uh, we're going to respond in worship now. I wonder, um, Joy, if we could if we could sing "Happy Day" again. Just that line in in, in the verse that said, says, "Endless joy and perfect peace." And uh, to be honest, as well, just selfishly, it was nice getting my feet off the ground in worship. <laughs> I just thought it'd be good to do that again, wouldn't it? Yeah, joy is not something that's just on the inside. It gives you this warm glow. It finds outward expression, doesn't it? And in our worship, in our singing, it, we express our joy that's in Jesus and his gospel, don't we? Shall we stand? I'll pray and then we'll, uh, we'll sing together. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you that in you and in the good news that you've lived, died and been raised again for us, we can find endless joy, endless joy. Our hope and our joy and our focus and our goal in life is in you. It's in you, Jesus, and in you uh, we have a gift that cannot be taken away from us, a gift we cannot lose. And so we thank you, Lord, that as we uh, lay down our our hopes in life and our our purpose and the other things we would find joy in, we let go of them. I pray, Lord, you would help us do that so that we can take hold of you. We can't serve two masters, but, Lord, we want to serve you because in you we find endless joy. So help us rid ourselves of focus anywhere else, whether we've put it in work or in our wealth or health or relationships or friendships. Help us, Lord, to set them down put them in their proper place and make you, Jesus, our lifelong passion. So that when we come to think of our death, we think really of gaining our lifelong passion, of gaining our ultimate hope. Help us, Lord Jesus, find our joy in you and be with us now as we celebrate what we have in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.